Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Uh, we started a new series through the book of Ephesians last week, uh, so we're going to pick right back up there this week. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up again in verse 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, then uh, there are some in the back of the room. You could go now and grab one. You can grab one after the service. Listen, if you notice maybe somebody doesn't have a Bible next to you, uh, why don't you just pull it up on your phone, hand them your Bible, scoot a little closer, let them look on with you, uh, that sort of thing. I will also put the passage up on the screen in just a few a few moments. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Marvel movies is the story arc of Tony Stark. I mean, really, you could argue the franchise really begins with Iron Man 1. But what we find in Iron Man 1 is that Tony Stark is a hero for his own sake, right? That he builds the first Iron Man to save himself. And we see that sort of me first mentality slowly start to change over the course of the entire arc of all the movies until we get to Endgame. And then, of course, it is Tony Stark, Iron Man, who is no longer a hero for his own sake, but is now a hero for the sake of everyone else and sacrifices himself to save the world. This could be what we might call in our normal vernacular a redemption story. That someone is redeemed from being self-seeking and turned into someone who is going to be others seeking. What we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 1 as we walk through this text today is this key idea of redemption and what it means in the scripture. So you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. We're going to start Right back where we left off last week, read a little bit of what we read last week. I want you to get the context of it again. So Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, and to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that's in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. So before we jump in, I just want to remind you what we talked about last week that frames this entire passage. That Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus to say, you have in your possession already certain spiritual blessings already yours. Now we often, we said last week, talk about blessings like, hey, I got blessed with a car. I got blessed with some time off from work. I got blessed with a much better boss. I got blessed with a new house. But what Paul's talking about is not these external or physical or material blessings, but what he's talking about is the work that God has done in each one of our hearts, who he's made us into be. And he said that these are blessings, not what we have, but who we are. Not our circumstances, but our character. These blessings are at a heart level, and this is how we're transformed. 
the way God makes us into the people he longs for us to be. So with that in mind, let's jump in at verse 7. We are talking about something, a reality that God did in your life as a believer that is a blessing to you. Verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption. There's that word, redemption. What does it mean? Well, in pop culture, the way we normally use it, we use it almost like atonement, right? Stories of people who are being redeemed by atoning for their mistakes or wrongdoings. Iron Man's an example. Another example would be Despicable Me, right? Gru adopts these three little girls in order to use them in his latest crime, stealing a shrink ray. That's wrong, right? It's wrong to use orphans in order to steal a shrink ray. Then Gru attends to abandon them at an amusement park. But what happens? Oh, They tug at his little heartstrings, right? He starts to feel compassion for them, starts to love them. And so he decides to put his entire mission in jeopardy in order to rescue these girls. And then what happens? They're kidnapped by Vector, right? And so then Gru decides instead of stealing the moon, he's going to rescue the girls from Vector. And at the end of the movie, he's a good dad. He has been redeemed. When the Bible talks about redemption, the idea is liberation from slavery upon the payment of a ransom. Liberation. So it's not just being a better person, but it's being rescued or saved or set free from something. It's most clearly linked with the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament. Maybe you remember the story, God's people are enslaved in Egypt under the cruel mastery of uh, Pharaoh, God hears the cries of his people. Moses comes. God liberates them or sets them free from slavery in Egypt, and they begin the trek to the promised land. So in the biblical idea of redemption, unlike Gru and Despicable Me, people don't liberate themselves from slavery. That this work of redemption is a work that God does. So what does that work then? What does Paul mean when he says that we've been redeemed? We have redemption in Christ. What are we redeemed from? See this phrase in verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He links redemption and forgiveness of trespasses together. Now this word trespass means boundary breaking. Uh, But instead of just going on someone's property where you're not allowed to go, this means that we have broken moral boundaries, uh, that we have done things that are wrong. And in our wrongdoing, we've actually separated ourselves relationally from God. And the biblical picture is that this trespasses, or sometimes it uses this word sin, actually is enslaving to us. And that we're unable to break free of our sin and trespasses. That we are like God's people living in a foreign country to a cruel Pharaoh, but enslaved to our own sin. And it gets worse, right? The Bible says because of that, we're also enslaved to a whole host of other things. We're enslaved to our own guilt or shame that it's hard for us to break out of our incredibly guilty feelings about our own life. 
We're enslaved to trying to seek out and develop our own identity. And who we are starts to spiral out of control. We're enslaved to being deceived by messages. You can rescue yourself if you just do this. Just drink this certain soft drink. Just take this certain supplement. Just reach this certain socioeconomic status. And all of those things mark us by the sense of miserable captivity. We can't quite figure out how to be free from it. And so what Paul says is in Christ, because of the work of Jesus, we've been redeemed. The way we've been redeemed is he's forgiven us of our sins. That he is removing our guilt and shame. He is giving us a better identity. That he is telling us the truth. That he is paying the penalty for our sins in our place. Now, how does he do that? It's just a previous phrase. We have redemption, what? Through his blood. And now we get the full picture of the Exodus story. Now, what's interesting about the Exodus story is that the people aren't just enslaved to Pharaoh. They're also enslaved just like us to their sin. And so do you remember in the story what happens the last event that sets them free from Pharaoh? It's also the last event that helps set them free from their sin is that God sends a plague, an angel of death. And the angel of death is going to kill the firstborn of every family. But there's a way out from underneath that judgment that God provides this thing called the Passover lamb. And God says, you won't die if you do this. Sacrifice a lamb and put his blood over the doorpost of your home. And then you will be passed over. Our judgment won't come to you. And so Paul here is saying, just like the Exodus story in the Passover lamb, we have a new and better Passover lamb, a new and better substitute for us in our place, a new and better sacrifice for us. It's not a lamb, but this time it's Jesus, God's very son, that he came and died on the cross, rose from the dead. And when he died on the cross, he paid in full the penalty for sin for you and me. And then when his blood is applied to us or covers us, just like the Passover lamb, that we are, like the people of Israel, redeemed, set free. Now, not maybe set free from the harsh master Pharaoh or from your CEO that you don't love, right? But set free, remember what we're talking about, spiritual blessings, set free spiritually, set free from sin, set free from guilt and shame because we receive forgiveness for our sins, set free of trying to find significance in the approval of others because we are approved of now by God, set free to be the people that God designed us to be, set free by being completely forgiven, set free from punishment from God for our sins. In all this, he says, I love this next phrase, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Don't don't miss this. That our redemption or our freedom from the sin that enslaves us isn't according to our own worthiness. Isn't that amazing? Meaning God didn't look over the crowd of the people of Mercy Hill Church and go, 
who is worthy of my forgiveness and redemption? Who here could I find that would deserve to be forgiven? No, no, no. It is according to his grace. Grace means unmerited favor. So what actually happened is God surveyed all of Mercy Hill and said, grace to you. And it is out of what? His riches, the riches of his grace. Now, if you're the God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, right? How much grace do you think he's got in the bank? You think God has a meager supply of grace to dole out? A meager supply of favor to extend? A meager supply of love to pour out? No. I imagine his grace bank account looks very different than my bank account at Wells Fargo, right? The riches, the abundance, the never-ending supply of his goodness expressed to us. And then he says what? That he lavished it upon us. The word there is actually carries the idea of multiplication. So God didn't just add something to your life. God's grace isn't just like a, oh, let's just... Lord, cherry on top. It's a little addition. It's multiplication, lavished. Grace upon grace. So sometimes I know for some of us who follow Jesus, we start to doubt our position before God, right? We start to wonder, am I really forgiven? Is the good news really good news for me? Is God really good? Listen, friend, if that's you today, <laughs> It's not just little meager doses of grace. And God is hoping that you will just get by until the next time he's going to dispense a little grace to you. It is multiplied to you. So we can then summarize this verse this way. We are redeemed, set free from slavery to sin by the sacrifice of Jesus. I love Richard Koken says it this way. For God to allow such a sacrifice for our sin is grace. Hear what he's saying? It's amazing. It's grace, right? For God to allow somebody to pay the penalty for our sin for us in our place. That's grace. For God to provide such a sacrifice for our sins is amazing grace. For God to become a sacrifice for our sins is grace beyond comprehension. Isn't that good news today? Why is this so important? Albert Speer uh, was one of the 24 key leaders of the Nazis in Germany who was tried for war crimes. He's the only one of the 24 who pled guilty. Now, Albert was served 20 years in prison. After his prison time, he wrote several books which are full of contrition, trying to make right all the things that he had done wrong. Years later, he was near the end of his life, interviewed on Good Morning America, and the interviewer said, you said in one of your books that guilt can never be, your guilt can never be forgiven, shouldn't be forgiven. Do you still, still feel that way? And here's what Albert said, I served a sentence of 20 years, and I could say I'm a free man. My conscience has been cleared by serving the whole time as punishment, but he said, I can't get rid of it. He said, actually, my new book is a part of my atoning to clear my conscience. 
So the interview pressed him and said, you really don't think you'll be able to clear it totally? And he just shook his head and he said, I don't think it will be possible. The good news that Albert Speer never knew, but the good news for you is he is right. His jail sentence, his trying to make things right, all of his contrition could never absolve his guilt for what he did. But there is one who can. You, trying to make up for what you've done wrong, is probably a great thing. But it can never absolve us of the guilt and shame of what we've done. What we need is not a pop culture redemption arc. What we need is a savior who redeems Someone who comes from outside. Someone who lays down his life for us in our place. What we need is Jesus. Now, not many of us have done the horrors of Albert Speer. But many of us can't shake the feelings of guilt and shame and inadequacy that our sin has produced in our lives. But the good news of Jesus is... Redemption is not about serving time, not about writing books of contrition, not about working our way into God's good graces. Redemption is not about trying to rescue three orphan girls from Vector to make up for what we've done. Jesus did it for us in our place by his grace. And that's unbelievably good news. Your guilt drowned in a sea of God's grace. Your shame cast as far as the east is from the west. Your sin completely forgiven. Amen. Praise Jesus. Now, why would God do that, though? Because God's got a plan for something even bigger than our redemption. See, God redeems us from something, slavery to sin, but also to something. Check out verse 9 quickly making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Okay, this phrase, the mystery of his will, that means parts of God's eternal plan to rescue his people that you didn't know or we didn't know until Jesus came, all right? And so what Paul says here is God made known to us, friends of Jesus, his eternal plan. And what's this eternal plan that God's been up to for all time? Well, in Ephesians chapter 3, he tells us that the plan has been that he's going to include Jews who knew about God and Gentiles who were far from God all together in the same family. Remember verses 3 and 4 from last week, to adopt us all together as sons and daughters, right? And then here he says that in Jesus, his plan one day is going to be to unite all things under the rule of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth is going to come together back in harmony the way that God intended it, unified as one. So what did God redeem you to? You are redeemed to a new unified family under the leadership of Jesus. So Christian, God didn't save you, so just punch your get-out-of-hell-free card and you're good. No, it's way better than that. He redeemed you, forgave you, so that he could bring you into his 
one unified family under the leadership of Jesus. United. So now check this out, church. This is incredibly important. If God's plan is through Christ, all things will be under his feet, summed up in him. All things will uh, uh, be under the rule of Jesus one day. That God and his creation are going to be restored. That people and God are going to be restored as one. That heaven and earth are going to be joined together. Guess then what the church is in part. A here and now testimony to the way that God is uniting all things. Do you want to know why our unity together as a church is so important? It is not because I don't like conflict. Man, and I am just tired of y'all. Let's get unified so I can have a much easier time pastoring this church. No, 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 no. That's not it. It's not because... It's, it's not because solely other people are looking at us. We've got a reputation to maintain. It is because the church here and now is a picture of what will be when all things are united in Jesus. Because our unity displays for everybody around us, hey, this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes people who got no business being together, being of the same heart and mind, and puts them together of the same heart and mind. This is what Jesus does. And so we are unified as one faith family, unity here in this local expression, and then unified, check this out, with all believers for all time. But notice it's unified where? In him. Under the rule and leadership of Jesus. That, that's why our obedience is important. Because we are putting into practice now what it looks like to be fully unified under the leadership of Jesus. That we are a community of people who have been redeemed from slavery of sin, but redeemed to this new, beautiful family of God. So what does this mean for us today? First, maybe you came today needing redemption. You came heavy-hearted, unable to comprehend how you could ever be forgiven for what you've done. Good news of Ephesians chapter 1. A spiritual blessing to you is you can be forgiven. You can be set free from the slavery of sin, and it all starts with you trusting in Jesus as your atoning sacrifice. It's unbelievably good news for you. You don't need an Iron Man story arc. All you need is Jesus' sacrifice applied to you on your behalf. The Bible says the way that we receive this forgiveness and redemption from Christ is just this thing the Bible calls faith, where we do what we did at the opening in the service, confess our need and our sin to God and ask in faith, trusting, ask Jesus to save us. So if you came looking for redemption today, there's good news. You can find it. 
in Christ. So I would encourage you, confess, God, I need you. My sin, my trespasses, my boundary breaking has separated me from you, and I need Jesus as my Passover lamb. His blood spilled for me on my behalf. And secondly, if you're already a believer in Jesus, then I, I wonder if what God is calling you to today is a reminder that you have been redeemed from slavery of sin, but you've been redeemed to something. Friend, you've been set free for a reason. And that reason is so that you can belong to this new unified family of faith. Live an authentic community with God's people and walk in obedience to Jesus under his rule. That's what we're doing here together. That's, you know, that's why we meet. That's why we gather. That's why we have missional communities. That's why we get together. It's because we believe this to be true. That our church is a small snapshot, a small little picture of what God's been doing in all eternity to bring people into his family, to experience love and affection of God as a father, and to help us to learn how to walk in obedience under the rule of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.